You're listening to the Conversations in Speech Pathology podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Steppen, and this is episode 33. Hey everyone, welcome back to another edition of the CSP Podcast. So glad to have you back as always. Today on the show, well, I first I want to say I'm dedicating this show to all of you senior college students waiting, wondering if you are going to be one of the lucky few to get into graduate school here in the U.S. <laughs> I was once one of you guys. Well, not as an undergraduate, because if you remember from the first episode, if you listen to the first episode of my bio, I uh, was not an undergraduate major in CSD. I was actually, I came to the field um, shortly after graduating with my bachelor's, and I, in fact, went to Illinois State to uh, complete my makeup coursework. I spent um, one year there, and uh, I contacted a number of schools uh, for this show, for this particular episode. Because I uh, solicit from you all from time to time episode ideas. And uh, there are a number of undergraduate students listening to this program. Thank you for that. Uh, So one of the suggestions that I've received, I think two if not three times, was uh, the topic of getting into graduate school um, here in the United States. What does it take to get into graduate school? What are programs looking for, etc.? And I could have you know, at first I was thinking maybe making this episode into two parts or or maybe just getting several guests on the show because it's really hard um, to take one program, one school in one part of the country and generalize that to uh, other places. But I thought this was a good start. I thought to myself, you know what, let's go ahead. I have a lot of Chicagoland listeners and um, I thought it would be interesting just to take one program, one specific program, the program that I, in fact spend a year at Illinois State. And so I have uh, Heidi Verticchio on today. She is Illinois State University's uh, graduate program director. She's also director of the clinic at ISU. And she uh, graciously accepted my invitation. I can't say the same about another uh, graduate program. Actually, two other programs (laughs) did not. One gave me a vague response and one said, uh, politely said, no, thank you. Um, And I'm sure some programs, it's maybe part of their secret sauce in terms of what they uh, what they look for in graduate students. They don't necessarily want to advertise that for whatever reasons they have of their own, and that's fine. But anyway, so Heidi uh, is on the show today to talk about uh, some things that they look for at ISU. Um, and I've, I've asked, I think, the questions that I would want to know as an undergraduate, and also the questions that have been percolating in my head for years. Uh, one of the questions that you'll hear me ask later on, this is something I'd wondered, uh, this is back in 1995, 96, when I was applying, you know, to what extent do um, the schools in Illinois take their own undergraduates? Is there, is there any favoritism in terms of, I went to University of Illinois, am I going to get into U of I as a graduate prog- as a graduate student? Or does Western Illinois tend to favor me over, say, a student from Southern, you know, et cetera? You can play this out in your head forever, which, of course, I did, uh, to no one's benefit. So um, anyway, I hope this episode at least helps uh, some of you students in Illinois 
And perhaps if you're a graduate program director in another part of the country, I'm happy to talk to other uh, folks out there and um, what your other practices are in terms of admissions. And it sounds like the process for graduate school admissions is an evolving one. It's always changing a bit in the olden days. <laughs> in the olden days. I'm so old. Um, in the old days, back in the 90s, which seemed like yesterday to me, uh, it really was a numbers game for the most part, I, I think. I mean, I don't remember interviewing with the two schools that I applied to. Um, I applied, I wrote an essay, and that's it. I was accepted. And um, I, I think it's a different game these days. I think that there are an abundant supply of qualified students. And now it, it's sort of like just getting into college, actually. Um, it really becomes going above and beyond and what what the uh, particular applicant has to offer that might be uh, unique from other applicants. So without further ado, let me just jump into this conversation with Heidi Verticchio. Thanks again for listening. You're um, the graduate program director, correct? I am, yes, at Illinois State University, and then I'm also the clinic director. And the clinic director, okay. So what I want to talk to you about is, you know, I get different show suggestions every so often, and one of the show suggestions that I received at least, at least two, if not three times, was about this thorny subject of getting into graduate school, and what you know, any tips, any. Um, any strategies, anything special that different programs may look for in, in a graduate student candidate. And so what I, you know, I'd reached out to a number of universities and um, I was lucky enough to have you from Illinois State <laughs> get back to me. And I don't know, I should tell the listeners here that um, when I went into the field, I actually went to ISU to do my makeup coursework, all the courses that I need to get into grad school. So I spent a year there. Really? Yeah. In what year? Do you want to say? Yeah, sure. Yeah, this is dating me. So this was back in, wait, when did I go? It was 90, January of 95, I want to say. Okay. Yeah, that would have been right. Um, so I spent a year there and I was looking at the faculty <laughs> role recently um, and I don't recognize a single person. So I guess that's I, I think we've had a lot of changeover since then. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I remember, I, I had really fond memories. Like I, I loved, I don't know if you know, Linda Al Bowman. Yep. Yeah, I just, I Tired. thought- just class acts, just great people. Yeah, fantastic. We were fortunate enough to have them up in uh, higher administration, too, for a number of years. So we're th thrilled about that. Yeah, Dr. Al Bowman, he was president of the university, right? Correct. Yeah, I was like, when I when I heard that he got that, I was like, good for him. He was such a good guy. Yeah, great guy. Um, okay, so I wanted to talk about, about uh, what it takes to, now, obviously, we're going to be talking about ISU today, but I'm sure it's applicable to a number of of the programs in the area and might be program applicable to programs out of this out of the state. So um, I have a lot of Chicago listeners and a lot of listeners who are just getting into the field. So is there, well, let me ask you first, ISU, uh, how many undergrads versus graduate students are there in the CSD program? So we pretty much have about 220 undergraduates. And then graduate level, um, we take roughly 35 to 40 per cohort. So, you know, no more than 80 really at a time in the master's program. And then we do have a clinical doctoral program and we take eight to 10 students a year in that program. Is the clinical doctoral program in, in uh, speech pathology or audiology? That's in audiology, sorry. Yes. In audio audiology. Okay. What, let's talk about some nuts and bolts here. Do you have, oh. as far as uh, 
do you guys look more towards GPA or GRE scores? What do you what what is there what are the prerequisites for admission? You know, and that's the hard thing. And I would say that's probably the number one question that we get um, mm-hmm. in probably most universities. What are you looking for? And a lot of emphasis is placed on GPA and GRE, you know, those numbers. And they are very, very important. But they are not the only thing that we look at. So I think universities tend to look at those because that's very objective data. You know, they have a number that they can look at for both the GPA and GRE, and then kind of compare those. It's the other components that are a little bit more subjective. So you've got the letters of recommendation from faculty members, also very important. Mm-hmm. Um, your essay, which, you know, they're looking at primarily for that, uh, what it is that you offer unique to the program and how well you can express yourself in, in written language. Um, and then there's another portion. Um, most of the applicants now, most of the schools now are using a program called uh, SIDCAS. I don't know if you're familiar with that. No. It's a centralized application system. So they have, um, it's kind of like a, they allow you to put in information like a resume. So you're looking at volunteer experiences, um, work experiences, honors or awards, publications, you know, any of those different things that can set you apart. And so what we like to tell students is that those are five different components of the application and each of them need to be as stellar as possible. Mm-hmm. It's just I think most imp- most emphasis gets placed on that GPA and GRE yeah. because it is a number. Um, one thing that ISU is doing a little bit different for this next group, though, uh, we're um, instituting a video clip, a, uh, a three to five minute video clip of just really introducing yourself and why they want to be at ISU, what they can offer us, and why they want to be in the field. So we're hopeful that that would give us another um, bit of information that would allow students to pop off of the paper. Yeah, looking at a document. That's a really that's a really interesting idea. Now, do they do they load that video directly? Do they upload it right to your site, or does it go like on a YouTube kind of thing where they can link it? They would they would do it on a YouTube and then mm-hmm. they, it would be a, a private address so it wouldn't have to be published to everybody um, and then they would insert that into the centralized application. Uh, we actually got the idea from Pacific University. They implemented it last year and had great things to say about it. Okay, wow. I you know I am just wondering. I'm sure you know as, as a component of the application. I'm sure that's one of those intangible things that can really make a candidate stand out. Given the right uh, persuasive arguments, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Now, do you do you offer uh, personal interviews as well? Not for speech pathology. Uh, for speech pathology, we do not have personal in- interviews. For audiology, um, we did do that for the first time this year. For speech pathology, to be honest, we have over three hundred applicants typically. Yeah, and just the logistics of trying to get that done. We haven't been able to wrap our head around it. I know there are some universities that have been able to do it, especially up in the Chicago area, and they found it to be very um, advantageous for not only the students in determining it's a program they want to go to, but also for the university as well. Oh, sure. You know, I, I'm trying to remember back when I applied. I don't think I had any interviews. I'm trying to remember. Well, a only relatively pl- new process. Yeah. Yeah. I think back when I applied, it was really a numbers thing. 
Yeah, I, I, you know, and I, it's, it's interesting because I, I try to tell students, you know, it is your GPA needs to be strong. You need to be strong GPA to be considered because it is one of the things that most universities look at first. But, yeah. you know, I applied back in school where, you know, it wasn't a high, as high of a demand. And so I don't remember the pressure being on the grades. Obviously, I knew I had to get good grades, but I don't remember the pressure being there as much as it is today. Well, yeah, that's that's what was interesting. I remember when I was at ISU doing my makeup coursework and applying, we were, even then I felt like there were, there were a number of people nervous about getting in. Mm-hmm. And uh, now it's at a fever pitch. Now I hear all sorts of anxiety because my coworkers, their kids are going into the field, um, friends of friends. And uh, everyone just seems to be so nervous about getting into grad school these days. And like I said, that's why I had at least two, if not three suggestions of doing a topic on this. Um, now, here the other the other uh, question that I had. One of the other questions was back when. Okay, so back when I was applying, there was always this these uh, unsubstantiated rumors about the different schools in Illinois. You know, the the idea is: Does Western take their own? Does Eastern take their own? Do they leave a certain number of spots for their own undergraduates? Um, Obviously, I'm not asking you to speak to what was in 20 years ago, but uh, are, do you, does ISU reserve a number, X number of slots for your own undergraduates? You know, I also get that question a lot. And um, we do not reserve a set amount of spots for our students. And to be honest, I don't know that many programs do. Um, having said that, if you've been a student here for four years or even two years as a transfer student and you've really stood out to the faculty, the chances of some of them being on the admissions committee are hopefully going to help your chances of getting in. Uh, But typically when the committee does admissions, they're looking at everybody as a whole and we roughly admit even numbers of ISU versus non-ISU students. Mm -hmm. It just so happens that when students matriculate in, it's more typical that students uh, a class is made up of the majority of students from Illinois State. Yeah. Now, do you, uh, as far as the the uh, graduate students who are not from ISU as an undergrad, do, are there uh, schools? Uh, is there any? Are there any schools that seem to be more represented than others? You know, like maybe U of I or Northern. I mean, is it just kind of like a hodgepodge of different places? You no, know, that's that's an interesting question, and I would say it's more like a hodgepodge, and it differs every every semester. You just never know. Um, yeah. But it, a lot of them are from in, in-state in schools. Um, Augustana, we've got some from Northern, SIU, both Edwardsville and Carbondale, U of mm-hmm. I, Western, Eastern. Um, a, lot of, a lot of the schools in, in Illinois, we have students coming here. We have some students from Purdue this year mm-hmm. um, and a couple of those out-of-state schools as well. And I would imagine a number of the undergrads who are uh, going elsewhere, it's probably a hodgepodge in terms of where they wind up. It is. You know, we we ask the students at the end of of the year, you know, where are you going? Where did you apply? But we have students that are at a lot of those inter- universities that I just mentioned. Um, some uh, University of Arizona, East Tennessee, Midwestern, St. Ambrose, Elmhurst, St. Xavier, University of Wisconsin. Yeah. St- LSU, Governor State. I mean, it's just a variety of, of places they go. Um, University of, of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. 
a lot of those students who go a little bit farther are choosing those reasons um, primarily because of family um, connections or um, in all honesty, they're getting really great financial package offers. And how can uh, you not opt to take them? Yes, you've got to look for financial aid these days. <laughs> for sure. You know, I, I always say my my advice to uh, anyone going into the field these days is to really watch. Um, obviously, everyone's financial system uh, a situation is different, but to really be mindful of the program you're going to in terms of the scholarships you can get and the cost versus uh, for out of state versus in state, um, very important decisions to make. Huge, um, it, it really is, and I would say that that's one thing. ISU, we're fortunate enough um, to have uh, graduate assistant positions, so we are able to offer a number of students, not everybody, but um, a number of students. Uh, a full year's tuition waived and then a monthly stipend for working 10 hours a week during the fall and spring semester. So that's, that's something that we're pretty proud of, even in these tight budget times that we were able to continue to offer those to entice those students to remain at ISU or come to ISU. That's great. That's great. Now, it's, it's my understanding that, um, so when you were talking about how many students, I think you mentioned somewhere in the 200s for undergraduate. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Now, how how much has ISU's program grown over the last five, 10 years? It seems like every CSD program in the country seems to be growing because of the need. Anyway. It, and yes. And it's, it's interesting because I would say when I, this is a, about, let's say I'm, I'm going to be starting my 18th year here at Illinois State, I think. Okay. Um, working. I got both of my degrees from here. But when I was a student, you know, I would say roughly there might have been 30 or so of us per uh, cohort grade level. Yeah. Um, our undergrad program has increased, I would say from about 175 to roughly about the 220, um, range within the last 10 years. Um, our graduate program at the 35 to 40 that we admit is one of the larger programs for speech pathology. And to be honest, we've just hit that max. I mean, a lot of, a lot of students ask, you have, great students applying. Why aren't you admitting more? And it's because of that clinical component. You know, we don't have enough resources to be able to supervise their clinical experiences Mm -hmm. so that they would be certified. So we do have to cap it at that point because we're not just a strictly lecture-based program. Sure. Very hands-on. I mean, your your clinic, you're uh, servicing the community, uh, all ages. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Full audiology clinic, everything. So, um, no, that, that makes sense. Now, I you know I got the sense that how big the program was just looking at the faculty list. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it was nothing like that uh, <laughs> back in the nineties. Uh, I would say look, you know, the number the number of names looks like uh, has tripled. Let's say over um, over the we, period we've that I've definitely been there. grown. We we have grown, which is is nice. And I think that the university just recognizes that we're a demanded program. Um, Typically, every year when students are applying to get in as freshmen, yeah. um, nursing is very highly demanded, and we are very highly demanded. Um, to give you an idea, you know, I mentioned that we had about 220 undergraduates. There's roughly nationwide, ASHA has put these statistics out, that there's roughly about 10,000 undergraduates um, in the nation for about 8,000 graduate spots. So that mm. just gives you an idea of how much pressure they are under to get one of those spots. Yeah. Now, now 
when a student declares a major in CSD as an you know as an undergrad at uh, ISU, at, at any point in the program, do does a faculty have a like a talk with them talking about you know just uh, how how difficult it might be to get into graduate school that not everybody might get a slot? Constantly, yeah. Um, you know, and it, and it's it's sad to say that, but I would say as um, the advisor, uh, that's something that I basically tell the students from one of the first times that we begin meeting with them as freshmen. Um, in addition to that, in their advisement meetings every semester, we talk a lot about, um, okay, you're going to pick these classes that you want to take, but we also need to talk about how you're doing overall in relationship to your competitiveness for grad school. But I would also tell you that even though they may not be direct one-on-one conversations, that we have a very hands-on faculty, mm-hmm. and they really devote time in their classes to say things like, um, I have a research project going on. If you're interested, this would be a great thing for graduate school. And so they kind of let them know of what opportunities might be out there to enhance their chances and really encourage them to start developing those relationships. Because we always say to students, you need to develop those relationships with faculty members, but it's difficult yeah. to navigate how to do that. So the faculty really does reach out to them, telling them, you know, their tips and uh, suggestions for grad school and what could better their applications. And then I would also say that in individual meetings with faculty members, you know, you have some students who you may be one faculty member as a mentor and one as another. I know that those conversations occur there as well. Yeah, no, that's really good that you guys are so proactive about that. And, it, you know, just as a tangential item, I saw on your, um, on your ISU uh, faculty profile, you've, uh, you, were, you co-authored a couple of papers on uh, meditation practices and uh, stress reduction for undergrads and graduate students, right? I did with Dr. Ann Beck. She Dr. is yeah. our department chairperson. Yeah, Dr. Beck, actually, that's a name I do remember. You, you probably had her for augmentative communication, um, yeah, maybe even aphasia in clinical methods. She taught a variety of courses. Um, okay. Yeah, own. yeah. So um, were those papers, that, were those born out of any one experience or just sort of years of observation? Um, you know, it's they're her idea solely. Yeah. Um, so she, she will, I'll give the credit to her for that. She deserves it. Um, she is a certified yoga therapist and in just general conversations, uh, in interactions with students, she has thought, how can I bring those practices to them in a way that would be advantageous for them? And so, um, we just kind of started offering little yoga sessions. She did. She did all of the teaching and um, kind of kept going with that aspect of it. And the response, you know, you're always like, oh, I don't know if the students will be interested. But the response has been really, really good. And I think one of the things that has made it so successful is the fact that it's a department chairperson who's saying you need to take care of yourself. Yes, it's important to get into grad school and advance your educational goals, but don't let your whole self and your mind um, and your your just overall well-being take a backseat. You need to be conscious of who you are too. Yeah. And so I think that's made a great difference to the students, and they've been very receptive. That's a very powerful message. And you know, I just going back, I remember graduate school was one of the most stressful times in my life. 
Well, and it's it's interesting because we presented at ASHA this last uh, conference. And, you know, what, because of the high GPA, it's this dilemma of, you know, we're we're basically saying to students, okay, you have to be perfect because you have to have a high GPA to get into grad school. Mm-hmm. And then once they get into grad school, we're saying things like, oh, well, you just need to learn the material. You don't have to be perfect. So it's this odd, odd message because of the competitiveness of the program. And I think, I, I think that we might be causing the students some anxiety about, yes. about the fact that they need to be perfect when in reality, nobody is perfect and we should maybe. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, I think you cut off, you got cut off there for a second. You still there? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah. So, no, I, I, you know, going back to graduate school, I had to constantly remind myself that you're already in graduate school. Just get through the program get halfway decent grades it's okay you don't have to get all a's so uh it's hard to constantly remind yourself of that when you're with people who have constantly driven themselves to get perfect scores and everything yeah and then i think we we need to think about as a as a university and even as a profession on how we can uh take a look at the application process and and try to make it be less perfection driven less Mm -hmm. numbers based for the students because you know there's some great students out there who would be fantastic assets to the program who might have a 3.4 gpa rather than a 3.9 gpa and we need to do a better job of finding those students yeah as a matter of fact i was one of those you know my undergraduate gpa i think i finished with something close to a 3.4 and uh i think two things helped my uh application to grad school one is that when i went to isu i was there for a year i was able to get straight a's and uh, and all the courses that i took i i really put my i i studied my uh rear off there mm-hmm. and uh so that was one thing the other thing is i would like to think that it helped me a little bit the fact that i'm a male and uh that back then we were under still are under underrepresented are. in the field yeah yeah, still, still are. We have a handful of, of males in the program. And I, I typically tell them when they come through for advisement, you know, you need to get good grades. Just being a male isn't going to get you in. But, um, you, you definitely have a strength because that is going to be a standout feature of your application. Sure, sure. <laughs> well, I, I remember, um, <clears throat> excuse me. I, I think I remember when I, when I was first starting on the field, um, I think males represented like, maybe 10% of the field and they actually dropped. It's been dropping over the, uh, over the course of the last 20 years. And I couldn't give you a stat, but I didn't yeah. think it was at 10%. Yeah. So I think like maybe, maybe never reached 10%, but it was somewhere. I, I I'm pretty sure it was over five at some point. Now mm. I think it's less than five. I don't <laughs> know. So yeah. Interesting. Um, interesting. so I think we covered everything I wanted to talk about. Is there anything else that I forgot or anything else? You no, I, no, I guess I would just say it, it is an onerous process for the students, and most of the programs realize that. And if I were to give any tips, it would just be to start thinking about it earlier. Yeah. Um, even as, as freshmen, keeping track of the activities that you've done, the interactions that you've had, the clubs that you've joined, and mm-hmm. begin to think about how your interactions in your life can help you for a graduate program. You know, we have a number of students who are in 
um, registered student organizations, whether they be sorority, fraternity, or Habitat for Humanity, philanthropic, spiritual, um, a lot of those students work their way up to leadership positions. And those are things that look good on an application. And I think students um, just should know earlier rather than later that that does make a difference too. Yeah. And I suppose some of those experiences they might fail to put on an application. Maybe they undersell themselves. Yeah. And I think a lot of it too is, you know, you think I'm going to apply to grad school. Oh, I'll do that between my junior and senior year. Well, there are things that you can be doing ahead of that to prepare, Um, taking advantage of everything that's offered at the career center, whether that be preparation on GRE or different um, ways to interact with your faculty members, um, getting in, in involved. I mean, it's not like you have to be in 12 organizations, but just putting yourself out there like you did in high school, mm-hmm. but keeping better track of it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. When it comes time to write that application, you've got that information right there. Yeah. Now, I just want to get uh, one more question, I guess. Uh, so I've, I've known, um, I can think of one individual who did not get into graduate school on her first try. Mm-hmm. Would you, do you know of uh, cases at least that I assume of, of individuals who maybe applied two times and then maybe got in the second try? Yes. After, yeah? Mul- multiple students. Okay. Um, and so what I would say to, to those students is it didn't work the first time. And so we have to take a different path to get to the goal. Um, and so I typically tell students if it didn't work that first time, we need to think of how can we change your application? Um, whether that be, you know, your grades are going to be different because uh, probably you're going to have another semester of grades on there based on when you would have applied, mm-hmm. possibly retaking the GRE, rethinking who you would want to write your letters of recommendation, writing a totally different essay. Um, and in that gap semester or year, they will have hopefully had some kind of experience um, relating with people. Mm-hmm. Um, that they can use to uh, get additional or different letters of recommendation and write an essay that basically tells um, a different, gives a different uh, version of who they are that might be, um, might be portrayed better than that first time. Um, I would say every year we have at least one, if not two students who who have been admitted um, after a gap period. Right. And, and some of um, those are a year gap and some of them are longer than that because, you know, they may have tried and failed and then didn't try again. Yeah. And decided, oh, I should have tried again. So. Yeah. And I also, supp- I suppose that some of them who maybe wanted to work as uh, SLPAs, they, they might have actually developed better clinical skills even and, and solidify their desire to be in the field. So I'm sure that helps uh, in some cases. Yeah, I mean, it, I agree. It's it's just hard because it's not what they the original plan was, and and yeah. it's you know it it's 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 hard because it's not what they wanted. Um, but definitely, we just need to think of a different way to get around that issue. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I think we'll stop there. Okay. Um, Heidi, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. All right. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye bye. All right, that was a good conversation, don't you think? Thank you, Heidi. I, w- I really appreciated you doing this. Um, I know you're you're very busy, and uh, I, I really think that was uh, it was good. It was a good service, good public service to let uh, students out there know 
that there's just more to grades and GRE scores to uh, getting into a graduate program than especially ISUs. Um, I just wanted to end on a couple of notes. Um, I can't, this is just uh, my own food for thought. I don't like to um, politicize or preach too much on the show. This is really sort of like, this is about people freely, this is about people freely expressing their opinions, of course, but I try to keep my opinions uh, to a, a light touch. But I do want to say, I can't over overemphasize enough the importance of choosing your graduate program carefully, not in terms of uh, the fit between what the program has to offer and you as a student, but uh, you really have to, you do have to think about finances. And this is something that I wish I had considered um, more carefully uh, when I was going to school. Uh, I don't have any regrets per se, but uh, I did take on a bit of debt in order to finish my master's degree. And you have to weigh uh, the expectations of your future salaries to the realities of your own situation. If you have a parent or parents who are willing to float the boat for the entire thing, then by all means, choose the program that you want and hopefully you'll get in. Everything will be great. But if you have to take a substantial amount of loans and then more and more American kids are having to do that these days. I just think you have to be really careful because you don't want to you don't want to mortgage your entire future uh, for your career, even if it's your your passion. So I, I would just really caution undergrads to seriously consider uh, the finances when when choosing a school. The other thing uh, I just wanted to mention is that Heidi was mentioning that there are currently roughly ten thousand undergraduates. Uh, in CSD in the United States, in CSD programs, and there are roughly 8,000 slots. So there is a discrepancy there. But as I as I told someone uh, close to me several years ago who had wanted to get into a program that, you know, she needed to be flexible in terms of applying to an, a broad number of programs, number one. If she didn't get in the first time, she can apply again. And ultimately... I really felt in my heart that if anybody wants it bad enough, they'll find a way, they'll get into the program, and they'll move on. They'll get their degree. And this was the case with uh, uh, this person that I know, who is today a speech pathologist working in the schools. And um, everyone, I, I can't say, I mean, this is this has nothing to do with data or anything, but uh, I, I truly believe everyone I know who is worried about this has ultimately found a way, a path uh, into graduate school. So if you're dedicated, if you're really, uh, if you really persevere, if that's, if it's what you really want, I think uh, you'll ultimately find your own path into graduate school. So with that, I want to say good luck to all of your undergraduates who are applying this year for the following academic year. And uh, remember, if you have any show suggestions, send them my way at Jeff at conversations and speech.com. I have some really interesting episodes coming up and um, really looking forward to that. You can check out the Facebook page where I rarely, but sometimes do post. Just search for conversations at speech.com. And uh, if you'd like to, you can also follow me on Twitter at Jeff Steppen, where I sometimes post. <laughs> so thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next time. <laughs>